0: I'm Linda von Tilburg for News, and with me is Tony Leon. He's, of course, a former leader of the opposition, and he's now a political commentator. He's also a former ambassador, and we're going to discuss the influence of the Israeli war on South Africa and also on South African's Jewish community. Hi, Tony. So nice to see you again.
1: You too, after all these years, Linda. Great to chat.
0: Absolutely. I used to see you every day at the World Trade Center.
1: I know. Long ago and far away.
0: You've made some comments about how the different presidents of South Africa is treating this and how President Cyril Ramaphosa seems to be taking another line than the one that Mbeki used to take.
1: Yeah, I wrote the extraordinary disconnect between what Mbeki said after 9-11 when he called it a docilely deed and the world needs to unite against uh, this form of terrorism and uh, effectively Ramaphosa's radio silence for the first nine days after the Hamas massacres and atrocities in 20 different locations inside Israel. And I also mentioned parenthetically, Linda, that the attacks took place inside the 1947 borders of Israel. This wasn't the contested occupied territory, and Gaza itself from which the attacks were launched has been unoccupied by Israel since 2005. But these subtleties and distinctions were nothing compared, or the omission of them, compared to the fact that the ANC's first response was basically to blame Israelis and Jews for their, own, for their own atrocities committed against them by Hamas. There was no referencing to Hamas in the ANC statement. There was no uh, acknowledgment of the victims. There was no empathy for the scale of the atrocities, which, as the chief rabbi of South Africa pointed out, are the worst in a single day committed against any community of Jews since the Holocaust in 1945. There was nothing like that. There was just the bald assertion that basically the Israelis had it coming. And um, Ramposo, who normally is to be always found to emote on any issue, ranging from people who uh, lose their lives and floods to events very far away from South Africa, which requires some kind of empathy, was completely silent. He was silent for the first nine days. And I suspect, I do not know, but timing's interesting that he waited until Israel had uh, basically embarked on its own campaign of self-defense against its attackers, which incidentally is completely allowed uh, under public international law, which he keeps quoting. Not that I at all rejoice in any of the loss of life on, uh, in Gaza, but that, unfortunately, is one of the casualties when you launch attacks from sites that are embedded with civilian populations, which is exactly what Hamas does. So only I think when Palestinians started to become casualties did Ramposa issue a statement of such mealy-mouthed equivocation that one wonders why he bothered. And then the ink had barely dried on that statement. Then Naledi Pandor was comporting with Hamas over the telephone prior to her current visit to Iran, which America has branded as a basically a terrorist regime. And uh, not a moment before actually the ANC had marched on the Israeli embassy in Pretoria last Friday, demanding actually its closure, and at the same time, in one of its many acts of doublespeak, saying South Africa should be a trusted party to lead negotiations between the Palestinians and the Israelis. You you can't sort of make it up, except, of course, you know, I think for not just Jews in South Africa, but people everywhere, this is just a a real low-water mark for this country, and particularly by the standards on which it is judged in the wider world, never mind at home.
0: Um, you also mentioned that you think that the ANC is blurring lines between Hamas and the the Palestinians. Um, why do you think there isn't that distinction?
1: Well, let me at the f- outset say, Linda, that uh, I completely accept the distinction between Hamas, which is a terrorist movement, and all Palestinians. They're two distinct entities. Uh, The fact that Gazans have voted in significant numbers uh, for Hamas to govern them is perhaps another matter, but not everyone should be held responsible for the misdeeds of a group which practices jihadist terrorism. Um, And also, as Gideon Ruffman said in the Financial Times, it's an unfortunate reality that you've got on the one hand acts of unspeakable horror committed by the same people who also have a government function, because they are the elected government of Gaza. So it's a difficult situation. But quite clearly, you know, not every Palestinian, uh, most Palestinians, I suspect, I don't know, do not support, you know, the unbridled butchering of babies and the decapitation of people simply because they're Jewish or Israeli. Although, on the other hand, of course, you know, there's a lot of anger in the Palestinian territories. And I fully understand that as well. I'm a staunch critic, let me say, of the policies of the current government of Israel and a few predecessor governments who absolutely have gone out of their way not to reach a settlement on the outstanding issue of uh, Palestine. I I think it needed to be resolved. I think it's way past time and maybe in the horror of this terrible event, there can be a renewed sense of urgency, although I don't know because I suspect... It'll lead to an even more hardened position on both sides. But having said all that, the ANC as an organization basically is uh, pro Hamas. I, I mean, we, I think there are only four countries in the world where Hamas has a representative office, and South Africa is one of those four. And that tells you something. And, and the fact that Pandor, our Minister of International Relations, sees fit in the middle of this horror show in Israel, to conduct telephone diplomacy with uh, Hamas and rush off to Iran, the biggest backers of Hamas, I think uh, speaks very loudly about the inclinations, the ideology and the bias of the South African government. Well,
0: what do you think, where does this come from, this sort of change in attitude? Because I think in the article you mentioned that Naneri Pando, the international relations minister, has converted to Islam.
1: Well, that's quite interesting if you look at the difference uh, since 9 11 2001 and October uh, 2023. What's happened? I, I simply, I, I obviously made, made the reference to myself. I'm a Jewish South African, um, and the lady is Muslim South Africa. There might or might not be any. I'm, I'm aware of the fact that I feel this very keenly, and no doubt she feels it keenly for other reasons, but I don't think that's the primary reason. I incidentally, unlike a lot of other South Africans do not think the ANC is anti Semitic. I don't think the ANC hates Jews, for example. But I absolutely think they subscribe to this really childish, I'll describe it really as no more than childish trope, that Israel is somehow an illegitimate outpost of the West in the middle of Araby. Really shouldn't be there at all. And the circumstances, the UN resolution of 1947, the many wars of independence and and subsequently fought there are of little account for the fact that the ANC sees in a, a very crude way that Palestine and Israel somehow represent the colonializer or the colonists. That's Israel, the West, Israel, and the rest, and that's Palestine, the oppressed. And I think that's the lens through which everything is seen, however misguided, however unnuanced, however. A historical that might be, and Jews can never be victims in their view. Uh, this is a that is a, an anti-Semitic trope. I don't think you realise that because uh, David Baddiel, the English comedian, put it very well in the book "Jews Don't Count." That somehow, because Jews are seen as being part of the rich and the powerful, the most Israeli Jews are not even white, but that's another matter, and and somehow connected to America they really aren't worthy of consideration the way that genuinely oppressed people are. This is a a simplistic view of the world, but I think it's one the ANC subscribes to. And also the fact that America is seen as, you know, the great Satan, to quote the Iranian friends of Nalini Pandor. And of course, America is Israel's, you know, major ally and indeed provider of uh, both arms and ammunition weapons, but also strategic uh, alliance partner. And South Africa, you know, it, it reminds me once of what P. W. Hubertus said of Harry Short, so he didn't mean it kindly, he said, you know, he wants to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. And and South Africa, in a way, wants that identity. And I think one of the reasons there was a reluctance to criticize Hamas still is, is if they did that, the ANC, whereas Mbeki had no problem criticizing Al-Qaeda because he was more self-confident about his position and South Africa's place in the world in 2001, the poses in South Africa's place in the world in November 2023. If they did that, that would somehow dilute their pro-Palestinian, their anti-colonialist credentials. I think that's how the ANC sees it. And um, this is the result. But, you know, people are taking notes. It's not that this is a cost-free exercise. I mean, in all reality, to be brutally honest about it, South Africa's position on the Middle East matters very little to the Middle East. It's not going to change the move, the dial there one jot one way or the other. But South Africa's position might matter a great deal when it's looking for renewal of things like AGOA. And it also reminds me of the fact that I think the South African government loves the donations, but they don't like the donors. So the fact that the United States Congress administration this is a unilateral free trade agreement, uh, is great in terms of what it does for our industries. And look, I'm a big fan of it, what it's done for our citrus exports, what it does for our automotive industry. The very existence of the latter's larger go dependence. So I'm not for a moment suggesting it be closed down. In fact, I hope it's renewed. But you've got to actually be prepared to uh, take some... Uh, costs for this and I'm not sure the South African government actually is always aware of the costs of the exercises it indulges in.
0: So what do you think the cost could be? Are you in contact with some overseas uh, representative to say Well I, I am
1: products? and look I'm, I, I, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to suggest anything other than that I hope it gets renewed but uh, there's an AGOA summit I think is taking place uh, early next month in uh, November in South Africa, and I think we'll see. Uh, And, you know, look, there's a much bigger global picture here, never mind South Africa's trade preferences. There's China. uh, There's uh, Taiwan. There's uh, the ongoing situation in Ukraine. And, you know, in a way, South Africa is aligning itself on the one side of that, and it's not on the Western side. Let's revisit that. And I think alignments uh, can be very costly exercises.
0: You think they're taking note, the West?
1: Oh, they absolutely are taking note. How they're going to act on the notes they take, I'm absolutely not in a position to say.
0: Can we turn to opposition politics? Because yes. that is uh, obviously your forte in your past. Um, the, the latest poll by the Renthurst Foundation indicate there's a stronger appetite now for opposition parties. Um, wh- how do you think they could capitalize on this movement towards South African fields? Well, maybe we need a change.
1: Yeah, uh, look, I t- they're basically really in politics. It can be anywhere in the world. Poland, Argentina, but South Africa there are really only two narratives in, in, in politics. The one is it's time for a change. And then that's a very powerful call. And you'll see in Britain, with the, given the results of the by-elections last week, which uh, Tories got trounced in two heartland seats, that actually it's very difficult for the party of government, especially a long-standing uh, party of government, to become the agent of change, which Rishi Sunak's trying to do in Obviously, not very successfully on the latest by-election results. The ANC, the other trope in politics is the other side is worse, basically. So, however much you think of us, or little you think of us, the other crowd can be actually worse. So, I, I think what's happened in opposition politics in South Africa it's been static for a long time. And earlier this year, and I, I think it was an imaginative and necessary step, the leader of the opposition, the DA, my party, my well, still my party, but I you mean, know, I used to lead it long time, decided they had to try and change the mood music by starting this multi-party charter of the moonshot pact or whatever it's now called. And I think, you know, the, the bits and pieces of that pact are not that significant. But I think collectively when people see, well, at least the opposition is trying to cooperate, it creates more enthusiasm on the opposition base. And, and that's why if the Brenthurst poll is correct, released last week, The opposition is moving towards about 40, the non-EFF opposition, let me say, is moving towards about 40% of voter support. Now, look, until now, Linda, it didn't really matter whether I was leader of the opposition or F.W. De Klerk was leader of the opposition or others, Helen Zilla and so on, all my successors. The opposition total vote more or less remained unchanged in South African uh, election results between 1994 and now at about 32%, of which the DA got the most, but the others took the rest. And, you know, any advance on 32% is is a material advance. Now, whether it's going to be enough to enter the union buildings is a big question. mark. And on the same poll you mentioned, the ANC still, and almost under any set of circumstances, is going to be the largest party. But clearly, they are going to be in a much more vulnerable position than they've ever been. That's the national picture. Provincially, the same poll suggested they're going to lose power in Teng, They're going to be kept out of power again in the Western Cape, and they could lose power at kwazulu Natal, which if all three of those scenarios happen, I'm not saying they will, the ANC will become actually largely a rural party. It will actually not be in control of the urban heartlands of South Africa. That would excluded from Durban, Cape Town. Well, I don't know about PE. Maybe not. They they still keep the Eastern Cape. But, uh, you know, uh, Joburg, Pretoria, all those would basically, also now at a provincial level, follow the municipal election results and return non-ANC governments, which would put the ANC in a very, very problematic position, because it's hard to govern a modern industrial economy when actually your support is entirely, or not entirely, but uh, largely focused in the non-urban areas, given that 66% of South Africa is urbanized. So I think that's an interesting takeaway. And of course, there is an opinion poll that was conducted in September and October. The election will be next year. And obviously, what the ANC is trying to do is to keep the lights on. And I suspect It's one of the great cynical ironies of political life and thought that they will look to be rewarded for fixing the mess that they created at ESCOM. So if there's an improvement in energy transmission or more of us have gone off the grid and so ESCOM can provide more electricity with less pressure, the ANC will say, look what we've done. Well, actually, (laughs) look what we've done indeed. So those are, you know, those are arguments. But... uh, I thought the poll was was encouraging. I I think there's a lot of work to do for the opposition still, and they haven't closed the argument. Maybe they only opened the argument. But I I think it's more hopeful than it's been in terms of change than uh, certainly the elections in which I was uh, head of the opposition.
0: Well, if the ANC remains the largest party, it will look for coalition partners to, to try to keep governing. So what scenario do you see there? Would the DA not be tempted then?
1: Well, I was interested and, and, I, and I know him and he's he's a you know smart guy and he's usually very reliable. I was reading something that Adrian Basson, who's the editor chief of News twenty four, wrote and he said there's a basically there'd been secret talks between the ANC and the DA and the ANC would govern the country and the DA would take over Parliament would be the thing. So the DA would get the speakership and the leader of government business posts and the ANC would cobble together a coalition with the uh, small parties and pre- present the provide a, a national cabinet. Well, I, I don't know if that's actually achievable. So that's one outcome of a sort of DA-ANC pact. It's probably not very popular in the rank and file of the ANC, and arguably not in the DA rank and file either, but maybe for the country that's a good outcome. The easiest outcome if the ANC does poorly, but not that poorly, will be there to do a deal with these so-called rats and mice parties, you know, the 1% party, who will be happily bought off with a cabinet seat or a couple of committee chairmanships or something, an ambassadorship, dare I say it, and uh, they would then uh, be able to carry on as before, although not as strong as before, and certainly, you know, I don't think it would be very good news for the economy. Uh, I, I don't think there'd be any change of any necessary reforms under that situation, be kind of paralysis. The worst outcome, which I think is favoured by quite a few people in the ANC, would be to bring the EFF into government. Not that uh, the, the ANC uh, executive might have that view, although some of them will, because the a- EFF will devour the ANC and government. I mean, a lot of Syrian Paul's close confidants say within six months they would destroy us. That, that's actually what's being said by some ANC insiders. If you let the EFF in, game over. And the ANC's experience with the EFF at local government level appears to be a very unhappy marriage, at least uh, in Kuraleni and the East Rand of Joburg and in uh, Johannesburg itself. And that's just at a local level. So, but uh, that would give them the numbers to form a stable government, but I think at enormous cost to the country. And, I, I, you know, I, I, it really would be the road to ruin for South Africa. I mean, we're in a very bad situation, largely the consequence of ANC policies and poor governance. If you add to that the toxic brew of EFF politics, that really is game over. Now, I'm not being an alarmist. I think you must take the EFF very seriously at face value what they say. And given the feebleness of the ANC about anything, most things, except trying to win elections, I think the EFF would, really have the field clear to implement the most ruinous policies this country's seen in generations.
0: Do you think Ramaphosa will hang around?
1: Well, he doesn't need to. I, you know, someone who's very close, or used to be very close to Ramaphosa, who I saw the other day, said to me, he doesn't understand why he gets up in the morning and is president, what's he wanted for? I mean, he's got it on his CV now. He certainly doesn't seem a very enthusiastic governor. You know, he doesn't give a, a sense that that he really is enthused about governing. He's certainly not backing up his finance minister in any meaningful way, although Enoch Guana often reminded me of Horatia on the bridge, you know, the one man who's holding back the populist forces. You don't see the president of South Africa standing alongside him, as indeed, you know, for my criticisms of I mean, Becky did for Trevor Manuel, for example in implementing reasonably market-friendly macroeconomic policies and decisions, and in what was a very successful uh, presidency and finance ministry from a macroeconomic point of view, and you don't see any of that. So Rampoz is kind of a lead-from-behind kind of person, and that's not what the country needs now. So would he stick around if the ANC does very badly? No, probably not, and the ANC is rather unforgiving of presidents who they perceive to have failed them. And, you know, other than Mandela, I stood down after one term, not a single of his successors, well, there have been two of them, have actually completed their second terms of office.
0: So where does all this leave the DA and and the multi-party charter? So if they really become strong, who do you see as the leader of this group?
1: Well, what I understand is they've kept open the presidential uh, nomination. In other words, and... and you know, the, they've made that very clear. So has ruled himself out, which is probably correct in terms of the you know, his demographic situation as being the president. And I think the DA's idea, from what I understand, is to draft in someone from outside of the existing parties as a presidential candidate. Uh, so there would be a an outsider who's got credentials to become president. And, and one name I see bandied around recently. I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. But uh, the advantage of that, of course, is that that person could conceivably span together very different parties because he doesn't come from any one of them in particular. Whether that'll excite the voters will depend on the personality of the candidate uh, and and what he brings. And I I don't know how that's going to work out. So I think that's the thinking. Um, And let's see. It it might just be the... uh, necessary uh, juice that you need to really, you know, get the show on the road. On the other hand, this has been tried before. You remember that catastrophe when Ellen Ziller brought in Mampela Rampili, which lasted all of five days. So, I mean, hopefully the choreography and the uh, sequencing is going to be a bit more uh, 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 watertight than that exercise was. But, you know, you've got to keep trying. The thing is, I used to say when I was the leader of the opposition, and it's worth repeating now because this fundamental truth still remains, opposition politics here and everywhere is like being a shark. You've got to keep moving forward. If you stay still, you will die. So, you know, you will atrophy at least. And there are a lot of political parties in South Africa who have stagnated, who have not advanced. And most of them are found on the opposition side. So there's a warning there. And it's something that needs to be remembered. And I know that is why these moves, either difficult they are, and however controversial, and you know, we can there's the, what the Americans say, you know, it's a bit like the Monday morning quarterback. It's uh, like after the rugby on Saturday, you know, Monday morning, we're all experts. We've all got a view on, you know, why England faults in the last fifteen minutes, why Ox is such a brilliant prop and you know, goes through that extraordinary match on Saturday in in Paris, hopefully another extraordinary one this Saturday, but the truth is it's easy to sit in an armchair and make critical comments, be an armchair general strategist or coach. But in the field, which I can say I've been in and having been in those weeds, it's so important that you keep trying to find a refreshment of your purpose. You can't just keep doing the same thing in the hope that someday your ship will come and you've got to be creative and you've got to be purposeful and you've also got to stick to uh, your whole principles. And, and, you know, and uh, that's what I hope the DA is doing. I see some signs of it and I wish them great success because you know, whether you're DA or not, the future of this country can only prosper if at some point and hopefully sooner rather than later there's a change of government because another five years of this, show that we've had for the last 29 years is very bad news.
0: Yeah, and just last question. I mean, a lot always changes sometimes in politics in a day. So a lot could change before.
1: Uh, Oh, absolutely. And a a lot can change in the next few months. And and I think that that's what the ANC Linda's banking on is that, you know, people voters will forget how terrible the, the situation's been. They'll forget about the corruption. They'll forget about the electricity disaster. They'll forget about the uh, the inequality they'll forget about the unemployment. Well, I don't know. I mean, look, I lived in Argentina for four years, and Argentines, well, not all of them, but the but the plurality of them on Sunday voted for the Peronists again. I mean, this country's got a you know inflation rate of one hundred and sixty eight percent. That's had you know multiple currency crashes, economic recessions, in hop to the IMF currency what and you know, there's uh, people vote often for the devil they know. So the opposition's job is to kind and create an alternative that people can respond to.
0: Tony Leon, thank you so much for speaking to us.
1: Thanks so much, Linda. Be well.